I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Kenneth Fearing's study of a deadly obsession. Desperate witness. Starring Richard Kramer. Keenan Wynn. And Julie Adams. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by General Motors and Quaker State Motor Oil. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. for someone he knows to be a witness before the fact to murder. It's only a matter of time, and time cannot be bought. Not like the painting hanging in the office or the one for which he paid $50 to a junk dealer the night of the murder. For George Stroud, time is running short. In a moment, part four of Desperate Witness, right after this word. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And I've been around this great country of ours enough to know how important it is to get as much education as you can while you're young. If you want to start college or vocational school, this may be your chance. The government wants to give you some money if you have financial need. Can you believe that? Well, it's true. Look into a new program called Basic Grants to see if you qualify. Hurry on over to the county agent, post office, or nearest school for more information and an application form. A basic grant won't give you all the money you need to make it through college or vocational training, but it'll help you get on the road. It could be the most important road you'll ever walk in your entire life. And if you don't feel like walking, just write your name and address on the back of a postcard and mail it to Basic Grants, Post Office Box 84, Washington, D.C., 20044. That's Basic Grants, Post Office Box 84, Washington, D.C., 20044. I called Steve Hagen. I would have preferred to see his face when I told him our search led us to a dead woman. But his secretary had said he wasn't available. So I settled for just hearing his reaction. Yes, George? Steve, the woman with our man that night was Pauline Dulles. Steve, are you there? You better come upstairs, George. Across those carpeted acres. Steve Hagen seated at his desk, Janice standing behind him. If I thought my face reflected tension, Janice was controlled hysteria. He nodded to me, then he turned and he looked out the window. George, I've imparted your information to Mr. Janice. He's naturally disturbed. 
Batty agrees with me that there's absolutely no significance in the fact that Pauline Dulles was the man's companion that night. What we want, what we have to have, is the name and whereabouts of the man himself. I'm That's sorry. all we're at. I can't buy that there's no connection. Well, you have our assurance, Mr. Janice and mine. You see, we've had reason to believe that Pauline knew this go-between, so it's not unnatural that she would have been out with him. Perhaps we should have told you. Well, perhaps you should have. Listen, Pauline Delos is a blind alley. Her murder is one story. This is different, unrelated. Now, let's look at some of these other leads a little more closely. We're still checking the list of upstate liquor licenses suspended or not renewed with the board, aren't we? No, that's a tall order. There are hundreds. The list is being fed straight to me. If I get anything, he'll know immediately. You've seen the story Newsways ran about this Patterson woman? It's too early for results. Our spread is going to put that woman on the map. Someone is certain to recognize that Judas painting from our description. Our evaluation of it is priceless, is sure to locate it. It's my hunch that that picture alone will nail our man to the wall. Those bars, uh, art galleries, and so on. They're all being covered, Mr. Jones. Exactly. And why hasn't our man shown by now? No one suddenly abandons his habitual routine of life, not without good reason. Why? He may be the one who murdered Dulles. In that case, he's not making himself conspicuous. Though he knows he's in fast company, he knows the score, and he's gone to ground. Right where he is, so the same thing won't happen to him. You mean uh, he may believe himself to be in danger? He knows somebody's playing for keeps. Why shouldn't he be worried? Maybe he saw the killer, can identify him. He's afraid to come forward, knowing he's in for the same. Hmm. He's keeping undercover, staying away from all the places he always went before. Uh... How many people in the organization, Stroud, know about this particular job? Uh, what do you mean? Right here, Janet Enterprises. How many? I'd have guessed. Well, with 53 people now working on this assignment, I'd say everyone knows about it. The entire 2,000. Why? And nothing. For a second, I thought I had something. All right. I guess that reports on everything. It's still nothing. You think I missed a bet somewhere? Just bear down on it. That's all. Michelle, and now that we've decided the murder and our particular guy belong together, there are a lot more lines we can follow. What lines? Well, for one thing, Mr. Janeth, I'll have some men cover all cab stands in the neighborhood of Pauline Dulles' apartment. Cab stands? Why? On the night of her death, only a few minutes after it, in fact, somebody took a cab away from that vicinity and couldn't help being rather noticeable. The driver will remember. I, I, I don't follow that. It's quite simple. Our subject took Pauline to Gill's, then to a number of antique shops, then to the Van Barth. Now, why wouldn't he take her home? Of course he did. Our timing concurs with the police's. He took her home, then he had to leave. The first and most obvious line to follow is that he left in a taxi. Perhaps he had his own car. Huh? Perhaps he did. He may have walked, taken a bus. Right. Maybe he did none of these things. But it's my hunch we'll discover he did take a cab. We'll locate the driver, we'll find out where he drove him, and that'll close the whole assignment. The stricken look on Janice's face that came and went screamed his guilt, reassured me that I was right. Janice had taken a cab that night, and it was my only hope of nailing him with the murder. Later that day, Janice went home under doctor's care. The word was he had a strep throat. My bet was that he had a chill brought on by seeing himself with a number on his chest. But I had a chill, too. 
Brought on by the sure knowledge that if they'd been out to get me before, they'd stop at nothing to cut me down now. Hello. Now, let me tell you about myself. I used to be a drunk, a chronic drunk driver. In the ten years between my first arrest and having my license revoked, I racked up 19 major traffic violations. I caused six serious accidents, injured three people beside myself, and had my license suspended twice. I was still driving and drinking. And then, one night I was driving home after work, and I'd had a few, and... I hit this kid on a bicycle. He died before they could get him any help. He was just 11. A little younger than my oldest boy. I'm living with that now. I was too drunk to see him then. But I can see him now. And I remember. This message was brought to you by the General Motors Corporation. We'll return to our story in a moment. I'm Lucille Maness, an unsuccessful big businesswoman. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about my unsuccessful business. I was the co-founder of this woman's book club, but we ran into a little trouble. We had all kinds of problems. So I called SCORE. Uh, that's the Service Corps of Retired Executives. Uh, the retired executives who volunteer to help small businesses. I went over and discovered Lucille was in deep trouble. I made several simple business suggestions. I also strongly recommended the club seek incorporation with a well-established women's magazine until its membership increased sufficiently. Unfortunately, one of my associates really didn't like the idea of a man giving us advice, so she wrote herself a check with the remainder of what we had left in the treasury and took off. Well, Mr. Krauss came back to help again. A man who knows how to solve problems likes to keep solving. Volunteer for SCORE. SCORE is one part of action. Action is doing something. There is something you can do. I took three good recent photographs of Earl Janeth out of the morgue. But I didn't leave the office, even when five o'clock rolled around. I stayed, pretending to be bogged down, correlating all the information that had been given to me. By the time I left the office, I really needed a drink. The idea of going into a bar now made me very nervous. I got to the second cab stand, which I figured would be the most likely, about the same hour that Janeth would have taken the cab that Saturday night. I showed Janet's pictures to the only caddy waiting at the stand. He didn't want to know who I was or why I was asking. No, no, no. Wait, let me see that other picture. No, I'm, I'm sure I never hacked this guy, but maybe my partner. We own a cab together. He works Saturday nights. He could have drove him, you know. I gave him three things. A picture of Janet, a $20 bill, and the phone number of the office with instructions to talk only to me. The proposition was backed up by another 20 in the offing if he got me the right information. I felt more relaxed for the first time in days when I got home. My family was asleep. I had a drink, and I took the temptation of Judas painting out of the downstairs closet. My intent was to destroy it, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. It was a work of art, and to destroy a work of art is murder of another kind. So I carried it into the cellar and I stashed it face to the wall behind the furnace. The horn of the school bus 
and a small female cyclone swept through the lower rooms of the house, gathering a school bag, crayons, picture book, lunchbox, and a hastily scribbled note from her mother explaining her tonsillitis. Her mother and I stood there in the warm sunlight for a moment. The picture of an ordinary, normal, untroubled family. I waved the bus off until I could no longer see it, and I kept waving. I could feel my face locking into deep lines that could hold rainwater. Are you all right, George? No, it's a headache, that's all. Just a... Just a headache. George, something is bothering you. I can feel Will it. Will you get off my back? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. It's just a... Oh, it's a lousy mood. You know how it is. It's deadline week. That's okay. You know, um, you, you forgot to bring home a newsways last night. I don't mind. I'll bring one home tonight without fail. In fashion, if you like. Oh, never mind the newsways. I bought one yesterday. Oh? You know there's an article in it about this Louise Patterson. Yeah, I, uh, I glanced at it. Fabulous. Just what you've been saying for years. Here, listen. With all the force of a major explosion, by grace of a new talent suddenly shooting meteor-like across the otherwise turgid skies of the contemporary art Overwritten. <laughs> there's more. Louise Patterson may view her models through a microscope, but the brush she wields is gargantuan. Isn't that Grand. Grand. Well, they're recognizing a talent. Don't be so critical just because they use different words than you would. At least they admit she's a great painter. Well, for heaven's sake, George, don't pretend you aren't pleased. You must have seven or eight Pattersons. Now they're all valuable. Well, I have to run. I'll drive in. Or uh, do you need the car? Wait, wait, wait. I want you to hear the rest of this. This week, interest in the art world centered on the whereabouts of one of Patterson's lost masterpieces, her famed Judas, admittedly the most highly prized canvas, etc., etc. Uh, oh, this is the part. Depicting two huge hands expanding a coin, a consummate study in flaming yellow, red, and tawny brown, this composition was widely known some years ago, then it quietly dropped from view, and so on. Well? Neat, but not gaudy. They make it sound like a rainbow at midnight. That's not what I'm driving at. Would you know anything about that picture? Well, why should I? Didn't I see an unframed painting you brought home over a week ago? The, the night Georgia came down with tonsillitis, didn't I? Oh, sad. Yeah. You're well, honey, that, that wasn't an original. That was only a copy. Well, what became of it? It was here in the dining room. I searched everywhere. I took it to the office. What do you think those plumbers who call themselves writers got such an accurate description of the original? <laughs> no, bye, sweetie. I'll just step on it. Call you this afternoon. Mafferson met me coming into the building. We rode up together. Fortunately, the elevator was empty except for the two of us. But Mafferson didn't want to talk about what he'd learned at police headquarters. He had another worry. His job. You think we'll all be fired? Who gave you that idea? Well, I ran into this fellow at breakfast. I always stop off at Schraff's in the morning. Uh, Fred Steichel's his name. Managing editor of Jeanette Donahue. Never did like that man, and he's even more obnoxious now that he's in a position of power. He was almost as insulting as the night when I tried to call you. A week ago Saturday, the night of the murder, as it turns out. I couldn't reach you, so I called Steve Hagen. Steichel says our magazines are going to fold. Wait a minute. Wait. Just, what time did you call, Steve? 10.30, 10.45. Strange, isn't it? Police records say that's about the time she was killed. And you talked to Steve Hagen? 
He was home? Yes. In his apartment. Talked to Janet, too. Janet? Yeah. What's strange about that? He'd been there all evening, came direct from the airport. They were having a business meeting and told me not to worry about my job. I wanted to yell. Mafferson backing Janet's alibi. Well, I had to find that cab driver. My mind was racing with a need. We were in my office, but I couldn't remember reaching it. Mafferson was dutifully giving me his police report, and I wasn't listening. Until I heard the word... Albany. What? I said, the police know Dallas was out of town from last Friday until late Saturday. They found out where she was from a book of matches in her apartment. Came from a nightclub in Albany that doesn't circulate its matches. And in the course of a routine checkup with the Albany hotels, they find out, find out where she'd stayed and what name she'd used. Oh, really? Uh, incidentally, the police know all about this job you've been doing here, and they're convinced the man you're looking for and the man with Dulles last weekend in Albany is one and the same. D does that help or hinder our story? Yeah, go, on, go on, go on. Oh, that's about all. They're sending a man up there this afternoon or tomorrow morning with a lot of photographs to check out with the nightclub, the hotel, and elsewhere. I told you they had the Dallas woman's address book, didn't I? Mm. They've been rounding up pictures of every man she knew, and most likely the Albany guy is one of them. Do you follow me? Yeah, yeah I follow you. They know from the general description they got over the phone from the hotel personnel that the man most definitely was not Janeth. At the hotel, they were registered as Mr. and Mrs. Andrew Phelps Guillaume. Oh, by the way, your name was in her address book. Did you know that? My, my wife and I met her at a couple of parties. Now, if, if I may digress from these facts to a more philosophical evaluation... You're doing a good job, Emery. Don't evaluate. Just keep compiling facts. Oh, by the way, is the department looking for a photograph of me? Oh, they already have one. Off your driver's license application. The man they're sending upstate has quite a collection. Fifty or sixty photographs. I see. Now, I can go to Albany with him if you like. You know, expedite things no, no, and... No, 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 I mean, no. I want you to start working up that story. I could feel the big clock's hand spinning, hurling me faster and faster. Any minute now, it would tell me my time was up. Judy, do you remember what I told you about all that high-speed turnpike driving you're doing now and all that power equipment on your new car? Yes, Caleb about how they can make your engine so hot that the oil thins down so it may not protect your engine? Yes, Kalen. Now, how do you tell if your oil's too hot? Just watch the temperature gauge. Nope. That just shows how hot the radiator fluid is. Oh, I know. When the oil's too hot, that little red light goes on. Nope. That just tells you the oil pressure's too low. Well, how do I tell if my oil's too hot? Fact is, you can't. Then how do I know my engine's protected? Make sure you're using quality oil, like Quaker State. Quaker State's specially made to stand up to high engine heat so it can keep right on protecting like an oil's supposed to. Is that the reason you always recommend Quaker State? That's one reason. Quaker State, your car, to keep it running young. The Zero Hour continues after this. Open up! It's me, Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of all France, much of the civilized world, and Louisiana if the deal falls through. Quick, Pierre, I didn't close it. Napoleon must not find you here. Come in! 
This world history lesson was brought to you by your American Cancer Society, which says smoking can be injurious to your health. In more ways than one. The two lines of investigation, the organizations and the police, were drawing steadily together like pincers. I could feel them closing. I told myself it was just a vast machine and the machine was blind. But I hadn't fully realized its crushing weight and power. I returned to my desk from a lunch I could not remember having tasted. Oh, Mr. Stroud. Here's that list of non-renewed licenses from out-of-town taverns you asked for. It's from ten years back. Oh, thanks, Lucy. Well, I haven't had a chance to go through an alphabet house, and yet if you want to leave them with me... Oh, later, thanks. One of them would have my name on it. And my wife's. I carried them to my desk, figuring I'd feed them to the paper shredder. But Roy's door into my office was open. He was standing in it. For the moment, I consigned the file folder to my bottom drawer. Been uh, meaning to ask you, George, did you send that handkerchief to the lab to check possible fingerprints and uh, have the laundry mark run down? No, I'm sorry, Roy. I, I forgot. You give it to me, will you? I'll do it right away. Yeah, sure. I've got it right here on my desk. Oh, and uh, Hagen called. I want you to come right up. These conferences with Hagen had daily become longer, more frequent, more bitter. It was cold comfort to have a clear understanding of the abyss that Hagen and Janet, particularly Janet, saw yawning before them. I wasn't thinking about Janet, but about myself when I opened Hagen's door. found myself staring at a photographic blow-up of the painting I'd hidden in my cellar at home. We're going to run it on the cover of Newsways, next issue, with a follow-up story on the artist. But uh, well, the cover, is, is she that significant? She's not. We have our own reasons for running the story. The first article on the artist generated a lot of reader interest. Now we run this lead. Priceless painting disappears. That'll pull our man out of the woodwork. Somebody will turn him in. Someone who knows he has the picture. <laughs> Hagen, who hadn't touched anything as plebeian as layout in the 15 years he'd risen to the top of Janet's empire, was meticulously laying out the copy on his desk. I stared over his shoulder at a four-by-six photo displaying one wall of a Louise Patterson exhibition nine years back in the Miller Gallery. In the middle, surrounded by four other paintings, was the two hands of the Temptation of Judas. But it was another painting that grabbed my throat and squeezed the air out of me. Two faces, two profiles facing one another in confrontation called study and fury. This painting at that very moment was hanging as it had for two years on the wall of my office just six floors below. By the time Newsways went to press, anyone who'd wandered in and out of my office since this insanity began was sure to make the connection. If I lasted until Newsways went to press, 
George, what the devil's wrong? This thing has drifted more than a week. Why haven't we found our man? I just shook my head and walked out. By the time I got back to my office, they were all there. Roy, Leon Temple, Phil Best, a couple of other leg men. It was apparent the second I stepped into the room that there'd been a break. George, we've got him. Where? Where is he? Right here. Here? Go on, tell him, Leon. Our man came into this building just a little while ago, right after lunch. Well, I don't... I just... I don't understand. Why would he come in here? Who is he? We don't know yet, but we've got him. Leon slipped some cash to the staff of the Van Bart, let them know there'd be more. Incidentally, I need my expense account. Would you skip on that, essentials, please? Boy, what Leon's trying to tell you, George, is that the staff of the Van Barth have all been scouting around this district in their free hours. After all, the Van Barth's only three blocks from here. And one of their porters picked up our guy and followed him right into this building. I couldn't get over Roy's eyes. Calm, unflappable Roy... And his eyes blazed with evangelical zeal. All of them, all the men in that room, lusting for blood like hunters who'd treat an animal. And I was the animal. I was saying things like, goodbye, Leon, that's using your head, Roy. And all the while I wondered if my reflexes had stopped working. I uncrossed my knees with the pieces of me. Fall off, one by one, like the rusted, useless wheels and cogs of a worthless machine that has outlived its purpose. In about two minutes, we'll have every door and exit covered. You're certain that he's the man we're looking for? The porter's positive. He saw him crossing the street, followed him a block, almost lost him at the light, but ran and caught up just as our Mr. X entered this building. Unfortunately, he got to the elevator before the Van Barth guy could alert us. Oh, I see. In addition to the porter, a night bartender from the Van Barth, waitress and gills, and the art dealer have all arrived. Well, I... Nothing to do now but wait, huh? If he doesn't come out during the afternoon, we're sure to pick him up at 5.30 when the building empties. It'll be jammed. We'll have to cover every inch of the main floor. He's in the bag. We can't miss. Agree, George? In the bag. And I'll wait it out right along with him. Stay here till we get him. If necessary, I'll sleep here all night. I'm not going to leave this office till we've got this all sewed up. would know that if a man came into a building and didn't go out, he must logically still be inside. And this inescapable conclusion must eventually be followed by one, and only one, logical course of action. Sooner or later, my staff must go through the building, floor by floor, office by office, looking for the only man in it who never went home. That man would be me. listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. I'm Roger Staubach. I'm not here to talk to you as quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, but as an ex-serviceman who'd rather have his head beaten in on the football field than practice his skills in another war. And that's why I'm rooting for the world's most successful peacekeeping team, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's worked for nearly a quarter of a century. In that time, the 15 Atlantic nations that make up NATO have been building teamwork like never before. In Europe, historically the world's greatest trouble spot, they have helped keep the peace and develop economic cooperation. They have generated a game plan through which problems like arms control and pollution are being attacked. Believe me, it's needed. The world's been kicked around enough. 
Let's help strengthen the NATO team. NATO works. Something else might not. This message was brought to you by the Atlantic Council of the United States. Here's a tip from your Better Business Bureau. Properly cooked vegetables add interest and enjoyment as well as nutrition to a meal. Cooking only long enough to make the vegetable tender tends to preserve more flavor and better texture than prolonged cooking. And when you buy vegetables, demand freshness. Check the characteristic signs of freshness, such as bright, lively color and crispness. Handle produce carefully. Someone must pay for vegetables lost by rough handling, and in the long run, it'll probably be you. Incidentally, don't buy just because of low price. It doesn't pay to buy more vegetables than you can properly store in your refrigerator or you can use without waste. Most vegetables can be stored for two to five days, and it's really penny foolish to buy fresh vegetables affected by decay. Because even if you do trim off the decayed area, rapid deterioration is likely to spread to the salvaged area. A few cents extra for vegetables in good condition is a good investment. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, Desperate Witness. I'm Rod Serling. Today's episode brought to you in part by General Motors and Quaker State Motor Oil. This is the Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow. And once again, rest your eyes and listen here to the Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs> <laughs>